0: previously in the R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. In this episode, which is the first of two parts, we'll have a discussion about what it is that makes those stories so powerful and immediately inspiring.
1: The secret sauce of the race is that it has to be just hard enough and a little bit annoying.
2: Yeah, also our um, boat's not the most waterproof we're finding out.
3: And it's not just as a sailor, just my everyday life has a whole
0: lot of risk and risk assessment.
2: In that moment, it just feels like this was supposed to be a nice easy pedal and nothing's coming easy on this trip.
0: In this episode, we've talked a lot about the risks and challenges associated with the experience. The race organizers are actively and intentionally making it as difficult as possible. And they do this to create an experience that's life-changing for anyone brave enough to participate. Is it working? Is all of this struggle really achieving its intended goal? In the next episode, we'll hear from two teams who show that it is, Holopuni and Funky Dory. Welcome back to the R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. I'm Angel Mathis, the host and producer of the Boldly Went podcast, and I'm excited to be partnering with the Race to Alaska to bring you this 14-part podcast series. This is episode 13 of 14 that chronicles the quest to win $10,000 in a non-motorized unsupported boat race through the iconic Inside Passage. The June 27th and 28th episodes are two parts of the saga. In these two episodes, I'm discussing what it is that makes racer stories so powerful and immediately inspiring. This is where we try to understand what makes this event not just a race, but a life-changing experience and a genuine old-school adventure saga. The last episode, June 27th, we talked with race facilitator Jake Beatty about why they've tried to make a boat race that is, quote, just hard enough and a little bit annoying by design. The reason is to create life changing experiences for participants. We also spoke with savvy veteran and four-time finisher Katie Stewart of Team Razzle Dazzle about the life experiences that have put her in a place to be able to manage the risk and adventure of this race like it's no big deal. And finally, we spoke with Lionel Jensen from Team R2 Ake about his race and the series of challenges that led to his team's decision to quit. In this episode, we're featuring two fan favorites who were forced to end their races early, Holopuni and Funky Dory. We asked them how the experience impacted them and fully expected them to answer with remorse and regret and not having finished. They didn't, and what they shared with us instead was really inspiring, and I'm excited to share these stories with you here. Team Holopuni, a team of three, Danny Giger, Chris Fagan, and Marty Fagan. Remember them as the first team to enter the race to Alaska in a Hawaiian outrigger canoe. If there were a side bet for the most dramatic unfinished, they would probably receive it. The three team members are all super accomplished adventurers, including things like running 100 miles around Mount Rainier all at one time, some significant sailing, and even a world record for skiing unsupported to the South Pole. By the end of the race, they would achieved even more notoriety. With less than 50 miles to go in this 750-mile race, a troubling Facebook update came out from R2AK notifying followers that the team had pressed their SOS button at 4.20 a.m. and had been picked up by the Canadian Coast Guard at Dixon entrance. There was initially a lot of speculation and uncertainty about what had happened. But the short version of the story is that as they were making their final push, the wind picked up, waves imploded their spray skirts, and their boat fully swamped. They were 15 miles away from any land and found themselves getting doused by waves over and over again in seven-foot seas. It was impossible to bail or pump their boat, and they realized there was no way they were getting out of the scenario on their own. We've been comparing this race to something like a real-life adventure saga, but one of the ways that it's different from a fictional story or a fantasy novel is that in R2AK, when the protagonist gets eaten by the dragon, it doesn't necessarily ruin the story. In Holopuni's case, I had a chance to connect with Chris and Marty Fagan over Skype shortly after they were eaten by their figurative dragon. As these lifelong adventurers came to terms with their experience, it was clear that just a few days after the race, it was already having an impact on their lives. It
4: was so highly emotionally charged, you know, I was just sort of crying at unexpected times because when you're in that experience, that primal survival kind of, feel you know, overtakes everything, and, and we were really kind of calm and in control, and you know sort of just doing the steps of things that we knew would be important to do as we were waiting for rescue and then you know once you're on the rescue boat you get a little bit you know, more relief and you allow yourself to feel all those emotions and you know now that we're home you know so a lot of those emotions have, have come out in the last three days and telling the story now we're home we're kind of just spent you know it's like Ellie and we had to do to be rescued and then rescue the boat and then get the boat ready. You know, we decided, gosh, we just have to fly home and come back to pack up the boat. It was just too much. It was, it was time to just be home, you know. And in being home and being able to sort of look at everything with clear eyes, you know, I, I just put a note on a J3's Facebook that the article they wrote was, was so well written because it talks about, you know, there's nothing super clear and cut and dry about these situations. And so, you know, emotionally, I you don't feel disappointed in not finishing. You know, initially, I think we were a bit almost embarrassed to like, oh man, we had to call for help. But now it's just feels like, you know, part of being a lifelong adventurer. We've never... Had anything like this happen before. We've always been the people, you know, sort of keeping that line that you that you don't ever want to cross far enough away. But, you know, inevitably, you don't know exactly where that line is. And so thinking about it now that we're home, you know, that line was probably a little closer than we had imagined, and we all have pushed ourselves in a lot of ways, and so we thought we understood where we were on the tired scale, but when it came to, you know, the weather not holding as we had imagined, you know, the weather forecast, 10 to 20 knots, the boat was doing really well in those kind of conditions, you know, so we felt well within our bandwidth, but, I think because of being tired and once everything changed, you know, that we didn't allow ourselves enough space to not cross that line. We didn't have a really clear out. And I guess whenever you go, decide to go on the outside, you're, you're being a little more committed. And, and we were going in with clear eyes with being a little more committed. But now that we're sort of stepping back, we can see, you know, obviously the more conservative choice would be not to go outside. But... but to go outside. It's not like a bad choice. I we just, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, as the cliche goes. And, you know, that's the only thing you can really imagine. It's not, it wasn't like, oh, we should never have done that. But conditions change so quickly, unexpectedly quickly. You know, I, I can't feel bad about it. I guess I feel neutral that, okay, that's, that's the reality. You know, that's the reality of what happened. I mean,
5: Chris has summed it up nicely, I think. For me, personally, I think the past 24 hours since I've been home, I find myself critiquing myself a lot, critiquing our decision points, running those things over and over in my head. The first thing I did this morning after I slept for 12 hours (laughs) Mm -hmm. was get up and watch our racetrack and watch decision points that we made along the way and then watch that decision point so that I could understand it a little better. Uh, run it and run it through my mind a little bit and understand all the factors that sort of led us to making that decision at that point to make that turn to the outside because we, we were actually, we actually were setting there at this point where we could have turned inside and we could have turned to the outside. We were setting in flat water, in calm waters, and had this opportunity to do that. And I reflect back to that point and try to understand that, that decision to make that turn to the outside, even though we knew we were all quite fatigued and tired. I think it was several things. I think it was we made that turn to the outside based on a weather prediction. We made that turn to the outside based on smelling the barn and knowing if we caught that wind, we would sail Quite quickly up to catch a can based on the angle of the wind. And, you know, I look back at some of the other turns we made and times we went sort of more outside or made the big crossings. And it wasn't a whole lot different than those choices, except I think we were extremely
4: tired.
0: In real life, unlike in fantasy, failure is very often a part of the process in adventure. And it was moving to hear Marty and Chris talk about the emotions they felt at the moment of pressing the SOS and to talk about what was happening around them. I,
5: I think all three of us knew the impact of what we were doing when we did it, uh, sure. when we pressed the SOS button, oh, when yeah. we made the call. There was no, I, I don't know.
4: It was serious and yeah, knew we, was we, serious. we knew it we was serious there was no... Like lightheartedness whatsoever about what was happening. Yeah, but but what was
5: interesting to us later on, as we discussed it, is there was no discussion between the three of us of what we were going to do. It was nearly immediate. I can't remember which one of us said, "Let me have the spot." We need to hit yes the radio call. Yes, and nobody said, "Wait, let's chat about this," because we absolutely realized the impact of the situation that we were, we were in at that moment. But I did have immediate, I think you'll probably embarrassment over doing it. Even in that situation at that time, I felt embarrassed that I was doing it, that I was making that
0: call. From a racer perspective, the moment of pressing an SOS must have been terrifying. And from a race organizer's perspective, these are moments of truth. You can talk all you want about adventure and creating meaningful experiences through struggle. But when it's life and death, shit gets real. Here's Jake Beatty describing his experience of the SOS call.
1: I think it's important to know that despite sort of uh, the dirtbag persona and, well, more than persona of the Race to Alaska, I think the authentic ethos of sort of a dirtbag race... That comes from, you know, all of us who are humble adventurers. There's a pretty sophisticated system that we've developed in consultation with some of the best incident commanders and risk management folks that we know, including high ranking folks in the life saving, the actual life saving services who have helped us create a framework in which we, we operate under. So there's a pretty rigid script that we follow when things go wrong. And so, when the alert came to us that we there was a rescue situation, a mayday situation with Team Halapuni, we we have a playbook that we follow along with, and it helps the uncertainty. I mean, in any situation where there is high stakes risk that is happening, I've never had the full picture from the first phone call. So what we learned was from the Coast Guard reports that we were getting, there was a vessel that had capsized and they had called for help. We knew what the vessel was. We could see their tracker plot and we could see that their tracker was moving at what looked like a drifting a drifting pace. So it was, you know, I remember a .8 knots in something like 15 knots of wind. So we didn't know at the moment if they were upside down in the water, if they were totally in the water, if the tracker was connected to their boat, the tracker could be on a dry bag that was drifting free. So the first hours of us trying to wrap our heads around it was really one of high stakes concern and unknowing. We knew enough to know that we didn't know what was going on. And that's, it's unsettling. And a little bit par for the course. So it's not the first mayday call we've ever had to endure as race organizers and it, it's not that we become jaded to it. it, it's that there is a little bit of, there's a flow that happens and and time slows down a little bit while you wait for information to happen and you just try not to let your, your worst case scenario doubts get the better of the faith in the humans that you know are on board, but there's just so many unknowns you know, you don't know from that, from a three-sentence email and a 30-second voicemail, you don't know if anyone's hurt, and you don't know if they're truly hypothermic, and you don't know their state of mind. You don't know if they're dealing with how much fatigue-driven poor decision-making. You don't know if they've waited too long. All of that unknowing has to be somehow grounded in the drill you do as a, you know, in in this incident command system that we've developed now over five years. And also, again, in the face of the humans that you've vetted as worthy of the challenge. But that tension between unknowing and faith is a powerful and uncomfortable place to be, for sure.
0: Although Holopuni didn't finish the race, it seems that the race experience was exactly one of those crucible, or life-changing moments that our 2 ak is trying to create.
1: Creating opportunity for what I call crucible moments, right, where you are beyond your comfort, you're beyond support, and it's just you and the raw truth of everything you bring and everything that is in the environment
0: while these things take time to process, there's an interesting theme that popped up for Holopuni before the race, and then after, about the experience of quitting. On several occasions, including in this conversation with team member Danny Giger, Marty was described as a team member whose key strength was that he would never give up.
2: We will crawl, as Marty says, we will crawl to the finish line. I mean, it, there's, not, there's not a piece, there's not a bone in him. I've watched this guy, he has a trick where he throws up about halfway through every ultra run he's ever done you don't have to put that in your articles he just does it's a known thing marty's time to throw up and uh i i've seen him looking like three sheets he should have been dead like twice and he will make it to the finish line no matter what Yeah, that so. kind of tenacity is yeah that's, hard yeah, that's i mean good it's to hard trace, to I think. And we're good because he'll he would buy a new one. He'd just buy it, chip it over. I don't have that kind of money or that inclination. And I'd be like, no, let's make it. Yeah. So between us, we usually get things done, but we half of it's something new and half of it's You're right both equally
0: motivated. That's yeah. what's important. He's so like, I've
2: fixing right. things. I'm like, I only like Are you
0: writing things. down Marty throws it's, up me? No, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm saying Marty will crawl to the finish line. Yeah,
2: he will. Marty will crawl to the finish line. Mm-hmm. Quitting is not an option for him ever, mm-hmm. which is handy, right?
0: As the race shook out, as a situation where Marty, along with the rest of the team, did decide to call it quits, here's a conversation between him and race boss Dan Evans on the dock in Ketchikan immediately after retrieving their boat.
2: Daniel, one of the most pivotal moments for me out there was I was a police officer before for 12 years, so I've been on that end quite a few times of rescuing people or saving people. And I know what it's like when I look in their eyes but I've never been on the opposite end of those eyes. And the uh, when the Coast Guard Fisheries lady pulled me on board, she was she was very tough actually. She just grabbed me she and awesome. boop, <laughs> Yanked me. And you know, and, it, yeah. and I was yeah. on the opposite end of staring in those eyes and it was I right. didn't realize how powerful that other side was, you know, and it was just a super powerful moment for me. Yeah trying to get pulled on and stare at her, and her staring at me, yeah, actually. Yeah, like, yeah. She was really like staring directly at me. She's doing what you do, right? Yeah. Like, are you sane, are you sane? That's yeah, right. Exactly. that's right. Yeah, right? Exactly. And I was like, like wow. Well, yeah, right, exactly, you dilated, what's yeah, going on? I've been on the other yeah. side of that so many times. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much powerful on the other side yeah. uh, to, to well. see that. And I just really appreciated those folks who helped us. Yeah, yeah I think overall I was really proud that we took this you know beautiful Hawaiian outrigger sailing canoe and we sailed it all the way from Seattle to within just a spinning distance, 50 right. miles of of Ketchikan. And 20 years ago, or maybe even less, in my younger days, I would have been so disappointed not getting to this finish line. Uh-huh. And I think. Maybe there's some maturity and yeah. such that has set in where I am completely happy and satisfied yeah. with our adventure that yeah. we had. Oh, and, 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 yeah, I would hope so. And all the racers, yeah, sure. yeah. all Let the me. racers that we've met along the way out here. Yeah, it's been, a community. Been incredible and this is, a, sorry. It's
0: okay, hon. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> You're human. For Holopuni, this experience seems like it was a genuine adventure. And even though they didn't finish, the race had its intended impact of changing their lives and the way they think about themselves and adventure. While Funky Dory's race didn't end in such a dramatic fashion, their team made up of Thor Bell and Pax Templeton did have an equally life-changing experience in the race. If you've listened to any of the other episodes of this podcast, then you know these guys. They were attempting the race in a reclaimed 16-foot Swampscot Dory, which is like a wooden rowboat, but with a small sail. It's completely open. We spoke to them the day after they decided to drop, when they were in Bella Bella.
3: How are you guys doing? Good. We're okay. We're. I don't know. It's going to take a probably a second to process everything that's been happening, and I don't think either of us have really ever given up at something like this and it's that's a hard one to swallow but we're we're yeah, it's gonna take some time to sort of think think it through. I don't know, it's we we made the right decision. I know that from the at the bottom of my heart and I know that from the bottom of my elbow. Yeah.
6: <laughs> <laughs> it <laughs> seems I like bottom <laughs> <of my elbow. laughs> we made the right call.
7: Yeah, yeah, it doesn't it sounds like you didn't give up very easily. <laughs> Yeah. So, what was the what's the story?
3: Like, what happened? Well, it's it's all just sort of. I know that Pax so he had dislocated his elbow in a climbing accident. I mean, he's he's starting to
6: see this weird little growth sort of. Popping. There's scar tissue forming. Yeah, and I can feel it. I mean, we've been having to do some really long row days. Basically, our boat can only sail effectively in
3: a very narrow window, yeah
6: so anything else has to be rowing and so we've done some 30 mile plus days where we're tandem rowing so both of us are doing 30 miles those days and we pretty much row all day except for like a short lunch break so around 12 or 13 hours and sometimes up to 15 and at the end of those days it's definitely inflamed and just not good yeah and it was
3: we were really trying to sail as much as possible and sort of let things heal and it worked for a little bit. And then as we got into the Johnstone Strait area and things past that, like, and just, we're so slow. We really, like, we wanted to try and speed up and we tried to push ourselves more and it just, every morning I wake up and it takes about an hour for my shoulder to sort of warm up to the point where I can actually pull the oars hard. Otherwise I'm just sort of, Lily dipping, as we say, and not really, and uh, it's not working and uh, it's getting worse. I mean, the race doesn't get any easier from Bella Bella on. It's harder and you have to make a prudent decision, even if it kills you a little inside, you know.
0: In the June 22nd episode, I shared that a major reason these guys were participating in the event was to draw attention to a cause that they're passionate about, ocean conservation. They managed to push through difficult conditions and physical injury in a boat that was not intended for the task at hand, all because of a larger purpose.
3: Obviously, neither of us wanted to quit. But more than that, we really felt like what we were doing was for something greater than ourselves. And it was for the ocean, for the environment that we care about so much and be able to sort of make it and keep going. I guess that's why we kept pushing, was because it felt like it was more than us. And even though it's only a teeny little thing that we're doing, I don't know, we wanted it to be a lot more.
0: Clearly, these guys' love for the natural world is heartfelt. Pax and Thor talked at length about the people who made a difference in their lives during the race to Alaska. They also shared how they felt like the R2AK had allowed them to connect in a very deep and meaningful way with the waters that the course passed through. Over the course of this podcast series, we've been talking about how the challenge of the race impresses participants. Talking with these two, who suffered as much as anyone, they focused on the personal impact of the race's beauty.
6: That's my favorite part, is again, with the small boat, you're right next to the rocks and the intertidal life every bit of life as you go north just increases in like vibrance of it there's just these cracks that are filled with sea stars and there's islands that are just incredible amounts of bald eagles yeah and i don't know it just keeps getting more and more full of life the farther north you go which is kind of the hard part for me stopping right now
3: yeah, the hardest because I work. just
6: know that it's just going to continue getting more into what I really want to experience. We're dipping out here
3: before some of the most, and like it just gets more beautiful and yeah. But honestly, so this whole this is sort of I guess a segue into this whole experience has done nothing but light an even bigger fire under both of us, and like not only do we have this feeling that we need to see more, we need to go further, we need to spend more time, but we need to be more connected. We need there's like we talked earlier about the people here, too, and the connection with the people and land, and it's not just Indigenous people, it's all the people that live here. I think we the conversations we've had as we've moved up the coast slowly have made the trip in many ways, and we've mm-hmm. heard from almost everyone that things are changing here, and they're not just changing, like, in a lifetime, they've changed They've changed in the last five years, they've changed in the last 10 years. And it doesn't matter the background of these people, whether they're commercial fishermen or people that you would otherwise sort of think of as not conservationists or anything like that, but they're all recognizing, and the, the big one has been climate change. We've heard it and in drought. Drought, yeah, and fires, and it's like the region is changing so rapidly, and a lot of stories here. Yeah, we have so much more, but honestly, we want to go back. We're going to, this is basically, we're going to go back with more time,
6: a mildly bigger boat, and (laughs) there's something here that we want to engage more than what we've been able to, even in this trip. There's just so much to learn from here and so many voices that are, it's just so isolated from the rest of the world that it seems like they don't maybe necessarily make it out except for these conversations that you have. And we would like in some way to help share those voices and share the situation that's changing here really quickly. So quickly that like, this, we are just here for a snapshot of it. But from what yeah. we hear, it's being at a point that like it might you know, in the next five, 10 years, it could be totally different from what we're seeing right now.
0: Maybe the most important point that's been made in recent episodes is that, for most, if not all participants, the race to Alaska is about more than just the race. It's cliche, but true, to say that the race is a journey and a pilgrimage of sorts. Because that's the case, it's entirely possible to get what you need from the experience, even if you don't finish. In the June 22nd episode describing the causes that racers are supporting, Funky Dory talked about the cause they're supporting, Pacific Wild. Pacific Wild is working to protect wildlife and their habitat in the Great Bear Rainforest, and it's based in Bella Bella. It was poetic that Funky Dory chose this as the place to end their race.
7: Yeah, I think that I'm I'm excited about that Pacific Wild connection for you guys. I think that one of the things that's so cool about this, I feel like, is that you've pushed so hard to, like, make that connection happen, too. It really seems like you were, like, from the beginning, really pushing to make this a bigger story and something that's got a bigger impact than just the race. I mean, it seems like you really worked hard to make that connection, and now it's something that's, like, really starting to, to germinate a little
3: bit.
6: Yeah, I agree. They worried for it
3: we really hope so for us like this is not about us we don't want it and from the beginning like it was supposed to be all about pacific wild and that, i don't know we've tried to turn the attention to them whenever we were asked about ourselves or anything because like not, neither of us are particularly attention seeking people but i don't know you realize at a certain point that some of the things that you're doing. You know, people started asking a lot of questions after a certain point and Yeah,
6: yeah. <laughs> right. It seemed. <laughs> but, it's, yeah. But,
7: yeah, but, yeah, I think what you've also done is you realize to make change on issues, getting attention towards them is one way to do that. And, like, by doing something like what you've done, which is, you know, a little bit ridiculous, a little bit awe-inspiring, a little bit, you know, lots of different things, it draws attention to the issue if you've chosen to put that focus there
6: which makes us so happy. that Even though we're ending early, that is the silver lining is that we have managed to shock people enough to grab their attention and then shove Pacific Wild in their face, which is really what and, we're hoping to accomplish.
3: Yeah. And so there's a million, and this is one of the pitfalls of nonprofits, that they're always competing with each other for funding and like, for a while, I remember wanting to, like, I want to start my own ocean conservation thing. And that's not really the reality of, like, you want, I want to help people that are doing effective work, effective work already. To Someday, maybe we'll be there.
0: For all participants, the race to Alaska is a challenge. Some come through relatively unscathed. Others bow out when they've hit their limit. Even the most experienced adventurers find the edge and step unintentionally and cross the line. But in our experience this year, racers across the board could recognize what Thor and Pax did, that something important is happening in every racer's experience, whether or not their race shook out the way they pictured it in the beginning. With the race organizers and all of the members of the R2AK community who make it what it is, we believe that this thing is more than just a race. It's an epic saga. And all of the racers are taking on something heroic.
1: And people are more capable than they even imagine themselves to be. And that there's hero in everyone. There's the potential for greatness in everyone. And all they need is the invitation. That's, that's a good tagline, too. Yeah, that was a good bumper sticker. That's that, good. Yeah, that, yeah.
0: <laughs> To stay true to this message, we'll end this episode with some inspirational music to follow Jake's bumper sticker worthy line. All you listening in real time, you know that the final finisher is in from the 2019 Race to Alaska. Are you ready to tie up the loose ends of this 750 mile journey? Learn about how teams manage to put this puzzle together, get more into the minds of the R2AK family, and get the information you need to start on your own personal Race to Alaska. Join us next time for the final episode in this 14 part series that's it for today's r2ak daily fix by boldly went huge thanks to race to alaska for bringing this crazy adventure into the world and all the crazy adventurers who have been a part of it and who have been fodder for this podcast other thanks for this podcast are attributed to uncruise northwest maritime center teams holopuni and funky dory jake Beatty. Michaela Elias, audio editor and production assistant, Tim Mathis, lead writer, episode production by Boldly Went. Also two Canadian Coast Guard, bilge pumps, bale pails, new friends, ocean conservation bumper stickers, and Life Changing Experiences. If you're still listening, thanks. Relive the 2019 Race to Alaska by checking out the daily updates at r2ak.com. If you like this series, you'll probably like the weekly Boldly Went podcast too. Get more information at boldlywentadventures.com. Follow us both on Instagram and Facebook at Race to Alaska and at Boldly Went Adventures. I'm Angel Mathis. Proudly bringing you this podcast in collaboration with the Race to Alaska. Ignite your adventure.